Welcome back to the Discriminology Podcast, specifically part two of Is There Really a Model Minority? If you haven't already done so, please listen to part one for the subsequent information to make sense. Without any further ado, let's jump right back into the content. So I think for, for me, anecdotally, uh, being in the high school, I, I, I find my Asian kids, and I think this goes across all groups, are more comfortable talking about the stereotypes than some of my other minority kids. And my Asian kids are kind of, and, and I know I'm generalizing, but this is, this is you know, certainly anecdotal for me, definitely comfortable telling me about the pressures that they have to go into math, to go into science to become doctors, you know, and, and they say it, they're like, you're like, listen, I'm an Asian, this is what I'm going to do. So it, it always kind of fascinates me and makes me a little sad and probably uh, more sad than I probably should be, but that some of these stereotypes are self-fulfilling, that some of these things that have been pushed upon the Asian community as a whole has now been adopted. And now a lot of my kids see this as their only path, their only opportunity. When I mean, I'm talking about AP kids, you know, kids as smart as Malik and Sid and Jada, you know, like these are, you know, these are not kids that are struggling. These are kids that could go do anything. And they already think that their path has been laid out for them. So I find that uh, sad, I guess, but also a little disappointing because they could go do anything they wanted. And and they're they're kind of being forced into the in, into these roles, you know, and. It, it just also always fascinates me how comfortable they are talking about the stereotypes that are on them and almost embracing it and owning it, which I know a lot of minority groups do, but I, but I feel like my, I feel like my Asian students do it um, or overcompensate a little bit more than most of my other kids do. I, I think that's my point. I think it's important to talk about how socialization works, especially with stereotypes. So, if the greater power structure creates a stereotype, it, it kind of has four touch points. It will, first and foremost, it will be from the greater power structure onto that minority group, whatever the, the stereotype is, and about other minority groups. The next phase will be my minority groups perpetuating and believing these stereotypes about one another. And then the next step would be within a minority group, perpetuating those stereotypes on one another. So to your example, Asians reinforcing to other Asians that I should be good at math, science, or whatever. And then the last phase of it would be internalized, perpetuating these stereotypes on ourselves. So I think we see across the news cycles where it's it's not understood why minority groups can hold prejudices against other minority groups or amongst themselves or within themselves. And it makes perfect sense. None of us are free from the socialization that's, you know, that's the messages we receive from since we're kids. And I'm, I'm glad right. we have a psychologist here to, to back me up on that. But we all receive the same racist messages, whether we're, we're white, black, Asian, whatever. You know what I mean? So we're all conditioned to believe these things. Yeah, that's a great point. I think Sydney also mentioned that, you know, it's really, if we didn't have white supremacy, then we wouldn't have all these different kinds of, you know, like um, uh, stereotypes that are meant to really justify white supremacy, basically, and really, you know, to, to oppress um, different minority groups, you know, like, and using different stereotypes to oppress different groups at different times that 
is you know kind of like event advantageous for the the group that's you know to maintain their power really and then to really kind of can kind of stay in the background while oh, you all the minority groups can kind of fight over one another out of the chaos right um, and i think it's it's really played out recently with um you know a lot of the 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 high profile um uh, hate crimes and um i think it's something that we sh- we should address um because there's kind of a long-standing type of, uh, I guess, animosity. I think it's really built from the creation of this minority myth and just kind of having minority groups kind of pitted against one another. And so there are, you know, many instances where these kind of crimes could be um, committed by, uh, you know, people from the Black community. At the same time, are people, you know, looking at the history or the systemic nature of the of racism you know how different groups have been suppressed and how kind of like all these different groups are kind of put in this pressure cooker and you know and 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 some of the individuals we see on the news they may may not be kind of mentally stable and so what has what have been happening to these individuals because they have been marginalized in this environment and so i think they don't have the right mind to really interpret what's going on and then you know when they hear these kind of like racial slurs and in relation to covid right and then there's a, definitely a little bit of copycat going on i think so i think there's definitely a danger of like in one way it's important to let everybody know this is happening so for asian americans to be hyper like to be vigilant you know to protect ourselves at the same time you know maybe for um folks that will, you know, would want to, you know, step up and be ally. And so that that's important to raise awareness. At the same time, how much is too much, right? So there, you know, definitely are some individuals who kind of like, oh, I guess it's, it's okay for me to blatantly show, um, you know, uh, this racist, um, you know, beliefs. And so, you know, there's some, I, I believe there are definitely copycats going on. Um, and so I feel like, one cannot talk about API hate without talking about the history, how it came upon, um, how it kind of it, it really was brought on by really the higher. <laughs> there's there's there there's definitely this 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 boss up there, right? I think Malik was using this metaphor. Um, uh, the the parrot, right? Right, the parent, yeah, um, you know, saying, you know, good child, you're a good child, you're a bad child, and you look at what, you know, this child's doing. Uh, I feel like it's it's so apparent, um, but it may not be as, as apparent to, like, some people, and I think the recent uh, broadcasting of these kind of hate crimes can lead to increase of that kind of inter-minority group hate when, you know, we're forgetting, kind of like Hunger Games, I don't know, I recently rewatched it. Um, I think Katniss was, you know, reminded, remember who is the common enemy, right? We're right. like, you know, well, yeah, we're fighting against one another, like all the, the, the it's divide and conquer. Are we forgetting who is actually making us fighting, you know, among each other? We're all trying to survive, basically. It's, yeah. I, I agree with you 100%. I think we, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the obvious wedge throughout history between the Asian community and the Black community. Um, from the LA riots, uh, the tensions between Korean communities and black communities. I really like that you mentioned the analogy of a pressure cooker. Uh, we could focus on the LA riots just, just as an immediate example. So you bring up the language barrier. So these, com- these Korean immigrants 
they enter the LA area and because they're profiled and, and redlined, just like any other minority group, they can't set up businesses in the white neighborhoods in the LA area. So these businesses are now in black communities. If you're now a black American, you're seeing these businesses, you, you feel like you are being racially profiled by another minority because again, we talk about the socialization and then you try to get a job there. You're not being hired. And a lot of, a lot of those situations specific to that area is more so a misunderstanding. Um, many Koreans were hiring members of their family and, and their community a, because of the language barrier that you mentioned before and B they couldn't afford to pay, you know, minimum wage at the time. So they, they were the, the individuals that were working at these stores were underpaid. So all these factors in that community, we were bubbling up and then you have the LA riots where, where a lot of businesses were destroyed. And that's how that rift really came about specific to that community. And I think that definitely translates to really relationships between black communities and Asian communities across low income neighborhoods. You see that in, in, in New York city, you can, you can name any major city. Um, it, it kind of follows a similar dynamic. And then to the, to the misinformed, um, some cases, ignorant mind, uh, that, that again is what breeds the narrative that Asians are here to steal everybody's jobs or any minority group is here to steal, steal, quote unquote, steal somebody's job. Um, which, you know, as we've discussed today, we see how that, um, narrative has played out. Malik, you mentioned the, 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 the I like that you mentioned the, the, the riot that took place. The interesting thing was, I think what I read, um, and I, I, don't know if I have the article here, but like what really took place was actually a white American killing or, or getting off from, uh, from the murder of a black American, right? And so it had nothing to do with Asians at all. Um, and somehow I think it kind of, I forgot the, the details of it. Maybe somebody can help me fill in, but somehow it turned into kind of, you know, um, uh, the black Americans being so angry about this injustice that this, 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 I think it was a, um, a white cop who actually, you know, got away from that kind of murder. And then there's then the, the territorial kind of dispute, right, uh, between black and Korean American, kind of like, again, the pressure cooker metaphor, right? It just kind of kept building up, then it turned into the riot against, you know, uh, Asian Americans. So it's interesting how the, how kind of like, the white group kind of can, you know, kind of escape from the whole, you know, blame and, oh, let's just turn this attention to, uh, on, on these people who are fighting among each other. Ooh. Um, so, yeah, if somebody can fill in the details of that. Yeah, it was, um, Mr. Kramer, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the Rodney King beatings and all of the officers that were involved were acquitted. Well, so that was that was one of the very first videotaped incidents that that we had that's really one of the first times that it was shown to the world what the police were doing and and, and the LA police were were notorious for this so they they beat Rodney King they beat him on the ground he was on the ground they beat him and then and then they all got acquitted all of them everybody got acquitted so he, he wasn't killed but he he saw he had brain damage and so when things like this blow up and minority groups have been forced to battle over the same resources for generations, there's no one, there's no one else to take out your anger on. You know, who are you going to take out your anger on? You're going to go march into the white 
we know what happens if black people try to go into white neighborhoods and we know what happens when anybody tries to go into white neighborhoods those those places are fortified and gated and they will not sell to you know everybody when 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 jane wants to talk about systemic systemic racism you know that's got to be one of the first things that we talk about is that the white power structure has refused to integrate absolutely refused to integrate it's on the books it's the law you're supposed to but but uh, certainly we here on long island know what what happened out here on long island to to our neighborhoods but it happened it happens across america they will not sell minority people homes in white neighborhoods they won't do it correct um so minority neighborhoods just exist and that affects the education well it affects all their resources right i mean it, it affects it affects the tax base it affects what what grocery stores you have in your neighborhood it affects what um what local wise or what local pools or or any of the resources that that a government should be providing uh equally and have equal access i was just just driving around yesterday up in one of the, you know, Great Neck, I was driving around up there and I saw the, the community pool that they have. This is like the park pool. It, it looked like Universal Studios. I, I could not believe what was going on over there, you know. And then if you drive around the Hempstead Park, so you drive around, you know, so Jane, these are all places out here on Long Island, right? So the, the minority parks, they are not, uh, they don't have the water slides, you know, so it, it's, Water slides. Does Hempstead even have a lake? Well, Hempstead has a lake, but they they have a pool. They do have a pool, but it's it's you know it's that old separate but equal. Like it's never been equal. It's never going to be equal. This this structure yeah. is gonna is gonna hold on as hard as it can. So anyway, to get back to the LA riots, so because minority groups have been fighting it out for the same resources for so long, when when things like that erupt there's only each other to take it out on and that and that just further fuels it right i i i would say that i i was a little encouraged over the last year with the black lives matter movement and the uh, stop asian hate movement because very early on the the stop asian hate w- was co-opting the black lives matter it was they were saying asian lives matter but the leaders of that community very quickly changed that. They said that's it's not the same thing. We're not we're not arguing about the same thing. You know, this isn't a police brutality thing. This is a hate crime thing that's different. We need laws in place. We need these people who are committing these hate crimes to be per, uh, prosecuted. Where the Black Lives Matter was specifically policemen are still killing black people on the street, right? So, so they very quickly changed it. So I think that I think that the last year. Um, for me, the last year has been encouraging in in that the groups are finally seem to uh, start building some coalitions, and there seems to be a lot more cooperation going on than there ever has been. Right. The, um, from from the 1960s that Jane brought up before, where Asian American groups were were completely discouraged from protesting, now we're seeing protests. Now you turn on the news and there are Asian American protests going on in the city. So I, I, I think some of that stuff is a, is a little bit more encouraging. 
and that protests, um, the, the anti-Asian crime protests, we have black individuals participating and, um, and, uh, and Lisa Lang, who is, you know, a very well-known Asian um, news anchor, um, she has uh, done a lot in, in terms of kind of raising awareness and then inviting NCAF uh, um, uh, leaders to come in um, to, you know, kind of like, talk about that 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 conflict i think it's like an elephant in a room that has to be addressed for things to move forward right and these this coalition or alliance that steve mentioned they're very important to really align uh, to kind of gather troops almost you know like like you know join forces among uh, minority groups and then heal um all the, the 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 pain that's been kind of going on for you know years um it's interesting because for me personally, I learned a lot through, obviously Black Lives Matter movement has been, you know, there forever. Um, but, you know, during the summer months um, when there, the protests of uh, police um, brutality took place, that was when I really, you know, um, committed to learning more about, you know, Jim Crow and, and, and all that history. And I remember engaging in some conversation with um, a fellow Asian online. I don't know them. Fortunately, I, I tend to associate with like people who kind of like think like me. Um, so like, you know, but then I think it was like a, through a friend's, another Asian friend's um, Instagram account. And there was a little, a little back or Facebook account, like there was a little back and forth because I was not happy that at that point it was before that this whole wave of, of high profile um, Asian hate crimes that took place um it was you know that asian basically was like well like why do black people why are they upset about um about people saying all lives matter and so i tried to explain to them um well what if your house you know it's like something something i I learned in other accounts i can't take for out of writing what if your house is being burned down and you're asking for help but everybody's saying every house matters like you know and he was still not getting it and and you know he then he brought up the whole model minority thing and that got me really upset um and then you know i started kind of like telling him well i think you should like you know we should all educate like i try not to be too i guess uh, rude about it right so like we should all educate ourselves uh, in terms of how these things have happened because of systemic racism and um you know like and and you know to kind of like point direct him to some of the articles about the myth of you know model minority um then the asian hate crimes kind of started you know happening all over the place and you know i thought back and and i realized interesting like you know i felt a little bit of guilt i i can't say I'm, i was you know being like a great activist, but I felt like I was more outspoken during that time for, you know, um, the black community. Did I forget about my own people? Did I, did I think that we're all safe, like as Asians? Because not, we're not. And finally, it's kind of like this big realization that we're all not safe. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's been kind of a journey all along. And I also started thinking, oh, I need to learn more about Asian Americans experiences. Cause like, you know, I sort of know some stuff, but I, I didn't really know. Cause I also know that, you know, I knew more about all Canadians, although kind of around the same time that, um, uh, uh, Chinese immigrants came to America, um, or because of the gold rush, uh, in California, 
Um, there was also the Asian, sorry, the um, Canadian Pacific Railroad that had to be built. So Canada also um, recruited many um, uh, Chinese laborers. And, you know, and I, in my mind, like part of my argument against the person on Facebook is that, well, just like blacks have been brought into the, this country as slaves. So, so they were enslaved by you know, white people. But the difference is with um, Chinese laborers, they tend to be volunteer. Like, you know, they were paid really, you know, minimum uh, of wage. But then I found, as I've read more, I realized that there's actually slavery also going on in Asian. Like, I, I need to read more about that. So I, was, I didn't realize that. And then also at, at the time when they're supposed to be paid, a lot of times they were murdered. And who is there to kind of, you know, like help them to get justice? Nobody. <laughs> they also don't speak the language. So, you know, um, and the massacre in, in um, I think it was California in, in the 80s. Yeah. Um, so I'm going <laughs> to lean, lean in on, on both, like, both or you guys uh, to kind of fill in with the historical uh, facts. Um, yeah, so that also took place that I did not know of. So I feel like all of us, including the minority um, uh, individual, we need to learn more about our own history um, because I feel I, I feel like I think Steve you also mentioned in another podcast where the history lessons are really sanitized, right? super sanitized. Um, yeah, and so you know me as a you know Canadian, I don't know much of the history of you know what ha- what happened for Asian Americans, but I feel like most Americans also don't know including Asian Americans. Jan, I was going to to add, well, well I, th- I think we all learned researching for this this podcast. I remember I opened up the, the conversation talking about the collective memory of Asian Americans and black history has the same issue in public schools. And we talked about that in, in on earlier podcasts where the history is sanitized. We kind of breeze over black history within the United States as a community. We don't really know ourselves and we're we're conditioned to not know ourselves but i think a little bit of the difference because black people have been in this country so long surviving white supremacy we're taught about how to survive white supremacy by our peers by our parents by our relatives by our friends and those lessons are kind of passed down where to compound that with the asian community not only it's i think it's even taught about even less in school um, a lot of the things I learned about, like I, I remember learning about the Transcontinental Railroad, but I was never taught about how entire Chinese villages were set on fire, or I never even heard about um, this case in California, People versus Hall. So as you were saying, uh, Jane, when it was time to get paid, a lot of people were murdered. So this 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 Chinese individual was murdered, and the precedent that the California Supreme Court set. Um, there were witnesses that were willing to speak out, but they determined that Chinese immigrants could not be witnesses against white people. Like that was the precedent. Like I didn't learn about that in school. And the more you learn about this history, well, first you get angry because it's just like, why wasn't I told this? And then it's just like, I didn't know things were as messed up as they were. I think the more we build this collective memory, not only as black people, but as as minorities in general, that will only help coalition building because as Sydney had a great metaphor before, and since we're all in the sinking boat, you're not going to act like you're in a sinking boat if you're systemically conditioned to not believe you're in a sinking boat. 
a, a big thing that, that we're fighting now in, in the United States is just this topic, what is going to be taught, right? The Trump administration wanted the proud to be an American curriculum. I, I, I don't know why I'm forgetting what they called it, but it was, it was, you know, straight from Nazi Germany. It was, you know, here's how to be a proud white American curriculum. And they wanted some things included in there, some things taken out of there. And there's a district out here, Smithtown. There's this huge uproar now in, in Smithtown because um, one of the pieces said that they were going to, uh, in, they were being going to be inclusive in critiquing, um, you know, their race, their racial discrimination, and, and inclusive, and be more inclusive. And the white people in Smithtown freaked out. Like, is our is our school district only teaching critical race theory now? Is that what they're teaching? You know, and people are like, uh, well, okay, you guys got to calm down. And now people are running for the school board that you know want to want to teach white supremacy. You know, like why is white supremacy you know not a great thing? You know, so it's it, it's this huge battle over the kids, and it's this huge battle over the curriculum, and who gets who gets to dictate that that narrative. Who gets to decide what the curriculum is going to really be? We all know who it's been up until now who's been dictating curriculum. But this is a fight that should be taken on by by everyone to change this curriculum and, and to be more honest about our past and not be so sanitized about our past. But it, it, that is going to take that is going to take forever. And, it, and it's going to take a huge political groundswell movement to try to get these sorts of things changed in the public schools because unless unless you wind up with with the one right person or the one guy who's willing to tell you or the one woman who's willing to tell you what really happened it's unbelievable what what's still going on i mean you know just just for an example that i I know this is a this is a kind of a trite example but we when we teach imperialism to our children we teach it as the european mother country and the colonies as if those as if those those European countries like mothering us, you know, like what a what a strange thing, right? So, so we we want that narrative change, you know. There was the colonizers and there were the colonies, you know. You got to what perspective are you teaching here? So I know that's that's a, a trite kind of example, but it's but it's even things like that that are still being taught as truth and still being taught as as fact to the kids, where we're looking to get you know, much deeper in, into what really happened, what what happened to that transcontinental railroad, what, what what happened when that was built, you know, that was built during the Civil War, like there was, there was a ton going on in the United States at the time, and um, there, there was, there was so much violence that occurred during that building that, you know, as, as you guys mentioned already, wasn't taught, so what do you teach, what, you know, who gives you the curriculum, what are you supposed to do as a public school teacher, when you're handed this curriculum and you want to fight with them, you're like, oh, well, listen, this is absolutely not the way this went down. You know, who who gets to make these choices? It's a, it's a huge, huge point. And I think it's one of the things that we, I, I think that we like to talk about on, on this podcast is what, what are these solutions? What, how are we going to fix the things that are going on? Where can we move from here? How can we move forward from here? Um, Sid posted a, uh, the uh, the Senate just passed the Asian Asian hate crime bill, just passed. One guy voted against it. One guy didn't think it was a great idea. This Josh Hawley maniac, who was part of the insurrection, you know, who's encouraging the insurrection. Um, 
Yeah, he didn't he didn't like that you could tell people not not to have hate, you know, not hate speech was no good. So there there are there are there are like we've always talked about, there are bills, there are laws, and then there's reality, and then there's the implementation of these laws. So, you know, when are we how are we gonna move forward and how are we gonna convince people that, you know, vote for the right politicians, representation matters, get the right people in there. Let's start really tackling things systemically as opposed to, you know, just the the conversations, like things have to actually happen. Um, Yeah. So I I think Steve brought up a a really good point in terms of getting out to vote, right? Um, We have to vote to have more diverse lawmakers or representatives who care about, you know, racial injustice and, you know, the rights of marginalized um, populations, right? Um, We have to vote in order to get our voices heard. Um, You know, we just saw the historical moment uh, when a woman of color being sworn in as the vice president of America. Um, The problem is like voter engagement has been, you know, historically, um, low, you know, well, with, among Asian populations. So, um, you know, other than the language barriers we've talked about, um, you know, I think some of the reasons that have been quoted um, is that, you know, the idea that, well, what does it matter? Like, you know, I'm just one person, what can I, what can I do? Um, then that may not be just, you know, among Asians, but I think a lot of Asians tend to think that, again, the whole, like, not you know, walking the boat thing, I'm just going to, like, you know, lay low and, you know, do my do my thing uh, or do my job. Um, so, if, so some some of the not-for-profit um, agencies I know, um, such as the National Asian Pacific Women um, Forum, the, the NAPOF, um, they have launched a many kind of um, campaign to help Asian Americans, especially Asian American women, to kind of engage them constantly, not just during like voters like voting season, um, to kind of build that kind of community relationship over time so that they can be called upon when the you know, voting season does happen. And then they also organize forums um, to let voters to, or you know, the, the population to kind of um, learn more about Asian candidates, such as you know, you know, the next um, uh, New York City mayor uh, run, um, including Andrew Yang and R. Chang, you know, to like, get people to know more about them, you know, among other candidates. So those are the things that I think really important to kind of get things, you know, kind of move along. For any, anybody who listens and anybody who wants to get involved, you start locally. You start at your local school board. You go to those meetings. You ask questions, you know, ask questions. What's being taught? You know, what, what is our history cu- curriculum look like? You know, what, what, what are our electives? Do we have electives? Do we have civil rights electives? We, we don't, our building doesn't have any, um, you know, you could do, a, you could do two years just on all the civil rights movements, but we, we, we don't do that. Um, we shy away from those sort of, you know, controversial topics, I guess. Um, but, but getting involved is so, so important. And, and as Jane said, getting involved in these campaigns and jumping onto these campaigns with whatever you can do, making phone calls, whatever it is, to get people in there. Like we said, laws can change and laws laws absolutely matter, but it's until those laws are implemented, until those laws are followed, and the community is engaged, then that's when the change is gonna come. The only thing I wanted to add in terms of solutions um... You know, obviously we're talking about legislative solutions, but I think exactly what we're doing today in terms of discussing 
intersectionality um and maybe it's less relevant because the asian demographic is falls into race so it's, it's both a race conversation in this context but i think sharing experiences sharing knowledge talking about the history of, of what's oppressed marginalized groups will only help coalition building and i think that will directly translate to legislative and school board results because i, I think it's I mean, Jane brought up the Hunger Game. It's it's like let's stop fighting amongst one another, and how do we stop fighting amongst one another? Is by educating ourselves and realizing that there's a common power structure that's oppressing all of us. Malik mentioned it before, and I think Jane, you did as well. That all all of us, all four of us here today, um, in preparing for this podcast and 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 in talking during this podcast, learned something new that none of us had known about this particular issue before. And so I, I know for a fact that if the four of us who you know, read up on, on these things and did our research for this episode still learn new things, then I know that our listeners are probably in the same boat. And that yes, like Malik said, the, the common goal here in, in us having these conversations and in discussing these things, there is a common goal and that is dismantling white supremacy, racism, discrimination, et cetera. And so, right, it, the conversation has to start somewhere and, and 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 it only will the the right the, the change and the, the policy change the legislation the social change will only happen when the conversation is started and so we obviously like we always do implore everyone to educate yourself learn something that you didn't know before and and share it because there's probably people in your circle and your family friend group whoever school work who also have something to learn from from this issue and will take those things that they learn and hopefully use it to, again, put the right people in these positions who are representing everyone. And to represent everybody, you cannot have a one-sided viewpoint. You cannot be worried about just one group to represent everyone. And so that it needs to be, um, it's on all of our parts to educate ourselves. We can only educate ourselves and spread the education to others. So, Yeah, there, there's just so much we could have spoken about today in terms of examples of why things are messed up like I, I don't even think we spoke about in terms of the model minority myth the, the limitations on that quote-unquote success and how there's a glass ceiling in, in business organizations that a lot of Asian Americans report experiencing that they they feel like they can't break through um, and that's not anecdotal there, there's there's stats to back that up um, you look at all the fortune 500 companies I think it's it's between 1.4 and 2 percent of them or of Asian descent, if you're a model minority and, and you're able to achieve the heights of success, you, that would be representative of the population, not just arbitrary 1.4 to 2%. Yeah, and we also didn't get a chance to, you know, I'll touch upon um, too much about inter intersectionality. I think uh, Malik, we were mentioning it earlier about how, you know, if you're Asian and then at the same time you're female, so your experience may different differ from you know Asian males. Not to say that one is better than another, because I think both Asian males and females have been su subjected to um, different types of negative stereotypes, or you know sometimes it could be seemingly positive. Um, so like just to, to give an example, you know like with Asian men, you know they've been kind of portrayed in the media um, as not not sexually desirable or socially awkward, the perpetual foreigner. Um, and then with Asian females, there is the um, um, 
the dragon lady that you know the mean lady i don't know if you guys have uh, watched the netflix um series uh i think it's iron fist um and then so there's that 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 asian lady who is like you know involved with the ten rings um, and then there's then the, on the other side there is the the um china doll you know like again hyper sexualized kind of image of asian women being subservient um uh you know desirable you know who can you know uh, do domestic chores um and then you know and then that i think has a lot to do with if you talk about the the six individuals who were cold-bloodedly murdered in atlanta um you cannot just dismiss that the sexual hypersexualized stereotypes of asian women is involved in that you know like you know the the, the um person who's accused of the killing said you know it, it's it has nothing to do with uh, race uh it you know it's it's these um uh sex addiction why did he go into three different or two different um um massage parlor um uh, and associate that with asian women right right um so it's it's you know it's just really hard to dismiss that and then you know we talk about different experiences of of um individuals from you know the asian women you know the, there's also a group of indian women who you know have been kind of subjected to this this um you know the whole kind of color hierarchy of you know the lighter you are the better so asian women there's like a lot of pressure to stay um as light as possible you know there's like these like kind of like beautifying cream that they can like kind of uh, you know make their skin like you know lighter color um so there's like intense um you know pressure for for asian women from kind of all these kind of different angles right um that are place upon them um it's only very recent where you have minty kaling who you know who's like a very successful um indian woman who you know started the, their her show uh, the, the minty project very very little asian representation it's almost kind of one-dimensional portrayal um in the media so i feel like that's another part of, of intersectionality we talk about we haven't even mentioned what if you're both asian and lgbtq um, uh, uh, right so right. their experience is also going to differ. Yeah, we we could have had like five episodes specifically about this. There's just a lot of there's just a lot of information. So um, to our listeners, I would I would recommend some readings and and resources. We can, we can post some articles to the Instagram. There's there's a book called The Myth of Model Minority that kind of touch touches on a lot of these intersexual topics that Jane was mentioning. Um, look up Asian authors, activists, and and Take the time to educate yourself as well, because these topics are really important. Jan, I wanted to thank you, obviously, for joining us today. I know we didn't get to touch on intimately every topic we wanted to discuss, but I think we provided a lot of learning opportunities for our listeners. And I'll speak for myself. I learned a lot today as well. Yeah, we can't thank you enough for joining us. It was uh, You are a wealth of knowledge, and uh, it, is, it is really, really amazing to have, have you uh, be on our show and, and share your experiences with our listeners. I think it was incredibly valuable. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much, Jane. And I also want to, on behalf of everyone, extend again, our, um, our empathy and sympathy to, to your community. Everything that's going on right now is absolutely crazy. Um, I, I, it's, yeah, it's wild. I do think that we, you know, we're taking a huge step, 
um, in this bill passing. Uh, but we, again, yes, thank you so much for sharing your sentiment and your knowledge. This was really informative. I also learned a lot, um, which is obviously why we do this. So thank you so much. No, thank you to you all. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I also learned a lot, uh, uh, you know, through this whole experience, you know, through our conversation and also kind of like, you know, looking at some research in the area. Um, and, you know, like I said at the beginning, you know, you guys holding the space for, um, you know, a minority individual to come to talk about our, you know, like personal experiences is really important and really educating um, our listeners about um, these kind of important topics or historical facts. Um, so thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Discriminology Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and to follow us on Instagram at Discriminology underscore podcast or on Facebook at Discriminology 3. Until next time, peace.